How to Revive Your Lawn, an easy listening guide with me, Alan Titchmarsh. Summer can be tough on lawns, baking heat, human traffic to picnics or playing games or simply gardeners pottering their much-trodden paths to the shed and the greenhouse. They all take their toll on the poor old grass. A close-cropped weed-free lawn has always been the centrepiece of the traditional British garden. But with today's average lawn little bigger than a living room carpet, I mean, good looks are more important than ever. And yet grass is increasingly expected to cope with the level of footfall you might associate with a sports centre or turf that England footballers Rashford, Kane, Wright might be expected to find underneath their feet. Wembley has teams of groundskeepers to sort out its turf, but you don't need a team of professionals or acres of spare time to get your lawn match ready. Just follow these few simple steps and your worn lawn can, once again, return to its former green glory. Why have a lawn in the first place? I mean, what role do they serve? What benefits do they offer? Well, they set off the rest of the garden, don't they? We all say that. If your lawn looks nice, the rest of the garden set off. They're a wonderful, cool, neutral green. Green is the most important colour in the garden. Lawns provide it in abundance. They also offer plenty of foraging opportunities for wildlife. And if, like me... You're a fan of stripes. They are wonderful for mental health. They're calming. They are the pause in the music of the garden. And one famous composer always said, the most important parts in my compositions are the silences. I love lawns. I do have some sympathy with those who say they should be allowed to grow long because they're better for wildlife. But I notice that in my garden, thrushes, Blackbirds and the like prefer short grass to long. They don't go in the long grass. They forage around looking for snails and worms on a lawn which is nicely mowed. I have one patch that I play a bit of croquet on. House rules. I don't really understand it. It's also brilliant for picnics. It's great for grandchildren to play on. A lawn is utilitarian as well as beautiful if it's looked after well. And if you want to do your bit for wildlife, have one part of your lawn which is long, but mow good, clean, smooth pathways through it. That way you'll have access, you'll be giving opportunities for insect life, and the two things are not mutually exclusive. You can have a patch of long grass and some short grass without feeling guilty. But lawns do need maintenance throughout the year, not in the way we used to, throwing chemicals at them the whole time. I've been organic in my garden for getting on for 40 years now, and I do have a lawn which looks like a lawn. It's mowed once a week. It does have stripes because I've got a large rear roller on my rotary mower, but I don't use anything inorganic on it. I'll be talking more about feed in a little while, but the thing to do is to remember you do not have to be a slave to it. You are not making a bowling green for the local people to play on. It can suit you and it can suit wildlife. You can be environmentally responsible and still have a fine-looking lawn. 
Up until about 10 years ago, I was organic everywhere in the garden except on my lawn, and I used to give it an annual application of weed killer and fertiliser in spring, and it killed the moss as well, and the moss would go all black, and then I'd rake it out. But I'd put the stuff on one year, and I was looking at the lawn, thinking, oh, yes, that looks a bit grim now. It's ready for its rake. The moss was black, and a blackbird was pulling a worm out of the lawn to go and take to its young. And I thought... I've just put some nasty stuff on that lawn. I wouldn't feed that worm to my children, and I'm making that blackbird feed it to its chicks. I gave up that day, and for the last 10 years, I've put nothing on my lawn except two applications, one in spring and one in early summer, of blood, bone, and fish meal. So you can have a beautiful, well-fed lawn that is organic, No mow may has been popular recently. The problem with long grass in gardens, particularly when you've done no mow may, is the amount of grass you've got on it in June and you've got to get rid of it. And what happens then? It strikes me that the best thing to do is to dedicate a small swathe of your lawn to longer grass, to let it grow right the way through the spring and to cut it once in late summer in September. I'm lucky I've got quite a lot of ground and I have a wildflower meadow and it's full of the most wonderful wildflowers that change with the seasons from cowslips in the spring through marguerites and moon daisies to marjoram and knapweed as the summer progresses. I cut it once, the first week in September when most of the seeds have fallen, rake off the hay, which is vitally important, don't leave it in great clods, it kills everything out, And that is all I do with that meadow, one cut a year in September. But it has rides mown through it every week or 10 days throughout the summer. So my rides are the smooth bits and these great swathes of wildflowers stay there for the entire year, being cut in September. That, I think, is far better than saying, let's not mow in May and giving ourselves problems then for the rest of the year. Artificial lawns are not for me. We're trying to cut down on the amount of plastic we use. I know there are certain instances where if people are very infirm and they can't mow or they have a roof garden and they want it to look green, where you might consider artificial turf. But for me, in a garden, no. It's the lawn. It's the real thing or nothing at all. And my far bigger beef with front gardens is those that are put down to block paving rather than grass. It'd be far better to concentrate on explaining to people that they can actually park a car on grass if they use what always used to be called fireman's paving underneath it. You can find a plastic mesh now which you can lay, put soil on the top and then seed your grass and so you have a lawn which will take a car going over it. You've then got somewhere for insects, somewhere for bird life and still somewhere for your car which to be honest probably isn't going to be there for most of the day and then you can look on greenery or low-growing plants, rather than looking on block paving, which is no use to man or beast. The biggest problem facing well-used lawns is compaction. The ground gets very, very hard, it gets very dense, the air is forced out of it. So the way to get over that, particularly in spring, is to go over it with a garden fork, stab the garden fork in every six or eight inches or so across the lawn, wiggle it about, and you will see the turf beginning to lift. The air is beginning to get in there, the surface will be better drained, it won't puddle so much in winter, and the grass will grow better as a result. 
Bare patches can be reseeded either in September, which is a very good time for sowing grass seed. The ground's warmed up, the seed will grow away and establish the plants well before the winter. Or you can sow in May as well, when again the ground is generally quite moist and reasonably warm. That's the time for repairing patches. You can lay turf to make a new lawn at any time of year, but not when the ground is frozen solid, absolutely boggy, or baking hot in summer. Generally speaking, if I were making a new lawn and I had to choose the time of year, I'd do it in about March, April. That way, the new turf will root down into the ground below and get growing. Similarly, September, October, good turfing times. But as long as the weather is equable, you can lay turf at any time of year, provided you make sure it doesn't dry out. Mowing How often should you mow? Well, if you are having what's known as a fine lawn, one which does look like a lawn rather than just rough grass, I reckon between April and September, once a week mowing is best. And take the clippings off. Catch them in a grass box or a bag at the back of the mower. Once a week will make sure that that grass stays dense. When you cut grass plants, it's like pinching a shoot tip out of a pot plant. It starts to bush out. It's the same with grass. The more you clip it, the thicker will become the turf it bushes out. If you cut once every two weeks, you have a heck of a lot of grass to take off. And also, it can look a bit yellow down below and it doesn't thicken up to make a really good lawn. So provided it's not really baking hot weather, in which case you can mow less frequently and cut less closely so that the grass doesn't scorch, generally speaking, through those spring and summer months, mowing once a week is a good idea. Don't shave any lawn too low. Half an inch is ample when it comes to closeness. And if you leave it at an inch and do it regularly, it will be better for garden games and for children playing. When it comes to weed control, I've just told you I only put on bloodbone and fish meal a couple of times a year. What happens to the weeds? The large ones like plantains and daisies and dandelions, I take out either with an old kitchen knife, just going in there on my hands and knees. I do, honestly, cutting out these little single rosette forming weeds. And the ones that make mats, like bugle or clover, I'm afraid I leave them. They're green. They stay greener even longer than grass. And you know, when the lawns moan regularly, you really don't notice them. It's just those big, flat, plantain-type weeds, which are eyesores, and those I just take out individually. When it comes to moss, I don't use a moss killer anymore because if you use a moss killer and the moss goes black, you still have to rake it out. So I simply rake out moss and if the grass is well fed, there's less room for it. Badly drained lawns tend to have more moss than those which are well drained. And what I do to get rid of it is rake it out with a hand rake. On a larger lawn, you can get mechanical, electric or even petrol-operated lawn rakers, lawn scarifiers, that you can go over the lawn and rip it all out, along with dead grass or thatch. That tends to be done for me in either autumn or spring. I don't do it every year. I do it when I feel I need to. Let's get going. Here's my lawn repair plan. So to keep a decent, good-looking lawn, what do you need to do? The rules of thumb are to mow once a week between April and September, to spike the lawn in autumn to improve drainage, you can sweep sharp sand into the holes made with your fork, to scarify the lawn once a year in autumn or spring, raking out moss, thatch, dead grass, 
just to give it a new lease of life, to feed it twice a year, perhaps once in April and once in June, with blood, bone and fish meal. And the rest of the time, just enjoy it. You can find links to online resources on our podcast pages about all the topics of our Gardener's World magazine tea break tutorials. These include videos, step-by-step illustrative guides to lawn care and organic gardening. My Titchmarsh's trade secret for lawns? Well, it's that mowing thing. Do it regularly. That way, your grass will be thicker, more even, and it'll look like a lawn rather than a rough old bit of grass. That's it for now. For me, lawn care is worth the effort. You are not an irresponsible gardener if you have a good lawn. It's the things in your beds and borders that will keep the insect life happy. I wish you many happy hours of reflective mowing. That's when my mind can run wild and many more hours enjoying the cool green rewards of your labours. A coffee or a cup of tea in the sun. Maybe even a game of croquet or two while the blackbird is pulling up the worms. From me, for now, whatever the weather, enjoy your garden. You've been listening to Tea Break Tutorials with me, Alan Titchmarsh, produced by Lucy Ditchmond for BBC Gardener's World magazine. 